0: This week on Destination Journey, join me on an adventure through the American Deep South. The destination, a conference in New Orleans, Louisiana. The journey, driving to Mississippi for lunch and Alabama for dinner. As you could probably guess, there's a lot of food in this episode. Pack your bags. It's time for an adventure. Hi, I'm Patrika Elise, and I'm all about creative, responsible travel. Join me weekly for stories and tips that'll inspire you to create your own adventure. In travel and in life, it's not always about where we're going. It's how we get there that matters most. This is Destination Journey, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Destination Journey. I am so excited to have you along for the ride today as we spend a day traveling through the American Deep South. If you've been listening to this show, you already know what's coming. It's time for some context about this trip. I needed to go to New Orleans to support a client at a tech conference that was taking place during the famous New Orleans Jazz Festival. I'd never been before, and I'd always wanted to visit, especially after the Princess and the Frog movie came out. Admittedly, I'm a little obsessed, and I've watched that movie more times than I can count, but it's okay. As is the case with most of season one of this show, these travels took place pre pandemic. A lot of things have changed in the last several years, and while I'll share my perspective on traveling through these states, it's becoming more and more dangerous to travel to these specific states for many people, myself included. The rights of women and people assigned female at birth, people of color, and the LGBTQ community are especially limited in these areas, so please be careful if you do decide to visit. As an event professional, sometimes I do have to go to places that I don't necessarily feel comfortable visiting. But at this point in my career, I'm not quite at the place financially where I can comfortably turn down events in these states. The situation is complicated, but I want to bring light to as much as possible. The next few sentences will discuss a sensitive, timely topic regarding health care for women and folks that have uteruses. If this is a triggering topic, please skip ahead by one minute or hit the 30-second skip button twice to skip over this information. You'll hear music when it's time to come back. The states covered in today's episode, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, have all implemented highly restrictive near-total bans on abortion. The stance of this podcast is unequivocally in support of access to reproductive health care, which includes abortion. And that means allowing people to make the best decisions for their bodies. These bans are dangerous and have already caused so much harm for everyone, men included. Unfortunately, as someone that has PCOS and endometriosis, both conditions that frequently cause ectopic pregnancies and other complications, it's a scary time to travel in the U.S., I know that many people in these states are working hard to get these archaic laws overturned, but I also want to reiterate the power of getting your voice heard through your vote. Please make sure to vote for people that believe in the autonomy of women and people assigned female at birth. This is a serious life or death situation for far too many people. As always, thank you for listening and supporting Access to Reproductive Healthcare. Today's trip is a slightly different version of a work trip hack. Last week, I shared a multi-city flight and a trip leading up to an event, but this week we're flying in and out of the Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport. For this adventure, I simply extended my stay beyond what was covered by the company and covered the hotel cost myself. The company booked my flight for me, so I wasn't able to have as much freedom this time around with the flight, but that's okay with me. According to FlyMSY.com, the official website for the New Orleans airport, in the mid-1930s, the population of New Orleans had outgrown its small regional airport, and expanding the existing airport on the south shore of Lake Pontchartrain would have been way too expensive. The city worked with the Civil Aviation Authority, which is now known as the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA, to create plans to build a new airport. Before construction could start, the U.S. officially became involved in World War II after the bombing at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. The U.S. government took over Moisant Field, which is where the airport was originally going to be built, and it used it as an airfield until the war ended in 1945. The land was given back to the city of New Orleans in 1946, and in May of the same year, the first commercial flights took off from the airport. Moisson Airfield was named for John Bevins Moisson, a pioneer in the aviation industry, and in 1947, it was considered to be one of the largest commercial airports in the country, covering over 1,360 acres of land. It was also the first airport to implement an instrument landing system. The name was changed to the New Orleans International Airport in 1960, and then it was changed again to Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport in 2001 to honor the New Orleans-born jazz icon's 100th birthday. The airport code still remains MSY, which is a callback to its original name and stands for Moistened stockyards. When you arrive at the airport, you're immediately submerged in New Orleans culture. The airport has beautiful artwork showcasing the historical figures from the state. You'll also see musical elements throughout the airport decor. For this trip, I stayed at the Eliza Jane from the Unbound Collection by Hyatt. This hotel is in a super walkable area, so I never needed to rent a car. I was able to walk all around the major attractions and the convention center easily. The hotel is also uniquely designed to have an open air feel that made me fall in love with this place. It's been remodeled since I was last there, so I'm super excited to see the new updates next time I visit. The land now known as Louisiana became part of the U.S. as a part of the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. According to Wikipedia, the U.S. spent $15 million to acquire the 828,000 square miles from the French Republic. The reality is France didn't actually control most of the land that they sold to the U.S., The majority of the land, of course, was inhabited by Native Americans and therefore really was not theirs to sell. But this is U.S. history, so you can probably guess how this story pans out. Basically, it was decided that the U.S. now owned the preemptive rights to the land, meaning that they had the right to seize the land by treaty or by conquest. For the U.S., this purchase expanded the country to include land west of the Mississippi River for the first time. The land would eventually be divided into the states of Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Minnesota, New Mexico, Texas, and Louisiana, plus small portions of land within Alberta and Saskatchewan in Canada. When the territory was purchased, only about 60,000 non-Native American people lived there, and half of them were enslaved Africans, which means ultimately this deal was pretty shady. The Native Americans who lived on the land were never consulted as the deal was being made. The four decades following the Louisiana Purchase would be some of the darkest days in U.S. history, as the government forcibly removed Native Americans living east of the Mississippi River and moved them to the new territory. The result of this terrible, cruel act was the Trail of Tears, where 60,000 Native Americans were forced to move across the country. Thousands died, and everyone was permanently affected by this horrible treatment. Rightfully, many tribes sued for damages caused by this forced removal, and the lawsuits eventually led to the Indian Claims Commission Act in 1946. So far, the U.S. has been estimated to have paid out around $2.6 billion in treaties and settlements since then, But for this horrible piece of history, no amount of money can undo this damage. Today, New Orleans is the most populated city in Louisiana. Since I was there for the conference, the first few days of my trip were spent working with my client to manage their event presence. After the show ended, it was time for my adventure to truly begin. New Orleans is known for its super flavorful food. So what better way to start exploring this city than to talk about the food? Naturally, I had to try the beignets, then also try them on multiple days, then also try multiple locations for, you know, research and definitely nothing else. I'm happy to report that every beignet I had was amazing. Beignets are originally a French food and the term refers to the deep fried pastry, but there are multiple ways to make them. In New Orleans, they're usually considered a breakfast food and are served with powdered sugar on top. Now, I was born in the land of fried food, but these were on another level. I'm personally partial to the restaurant Café du Monde. It's an amazing outdoor cafe that serves beignets and coffee. I was told by the locals that the best way to enjoy beignets with coffee was to take a bite over the coffee mug so that the excess sugar falls into the coffee to sweeten it. Y'all, it was perfect. Plus, this cafe stays open late and those nighttime beignets hit different. Should I learn to make beignets? Probably. Anyway, I also tried a restaurant called Creole Cuisine and the food was delicious and flavorful. I had shrimp etouffee, a classic New Orleans dish, and it did not disappoint. Another type of food that's popular in New Orleans is the po'boy sandwich. The origins of why this sandwich carries that name is an interesting story. According to Wikipedia, the po'boy sandwich originated in Louisiana and typically contains some type of meat, usually roast beef or fried seafood, which is usually shrimp, crawfish, fish, oysters, or crab. Here's an excerpt from the Wikipedia page describing a theory for how the po'boy got its name. And I quote, a popular local theory claims that the term poor boy, later po'boy, etc., as specifically referring to a type of sandwich, was coined in a New Orleans restaurant owned by Benjamin, Benny, and Clovis Martin, former streetcar conductors originally from Raceland, Louisiana. The Martins established their eatery in 1921, but it was not until 1929 that the bakery of John Gendusa first baked the bread to be used for this sandwich. In 1929, during a four-month strike against the streetcar company, the Martin brothers served their former colleagues free sandwiches. The Martins had been interviewed on record regarding the origins of the sandwich. Benny Martin reminisced that they at the restaurant jokingly referred to an incoming diner as another poor boy, if he turned out to be one of the strikers. The Martin brothers were also posed the question of whether the name was inspired by some French or French patois word, such as Paul Bois, But they denied that was the case. One New Orleans historian finds the Martin claim suspicious for several reasons, starting with the fact that it was not described by the local press until 40 years after the strike and that prior to 1969, the story from the Martin brothers themselves was that they had created the po'boy for farmers, dock workers, and other, quote, poor boys who frequented their original location near the French market. The Martin brothers did write a letter reprinted in local newspapers in 1929, promising to feed the streetcar workers, but it referenced our meal and made no mention of the sandwiches, End quote. So maybe we'll never know the true origin of the name, but this sandwich is delicious. It's usually a pretty affordable lunch and they're widely available in the city. Now that you're sufficiently hungry from all the food I've described, after this break, we'll dive a little deeper into the history and culture of this musical city. Welcome back. When many people think of New Orleans, they automatically think of Mardi Gras and wild parties on Bourbon Street. While these are both aspects of the New Orleans experience, this city has a lot more to offer. On my second day of exploration, I set out on foot to see as much of the French Quarter as possible. The city is very conducive to walking, and while environmental preservation isn't at the top of this state's list by any means, I do appreciate the walkability, which cuts down on emissions from the large tourism crowds. Most people walk through the French Quarter, stopping at bars along the way, of course, but this feature of the city checks at least one sustainability box. The architecture is reminiscent of Parisian styling, and this section feels unlike any other U.S. city I've visited. Music literally pours through the streets, and it seems like every corner you turn, you encounter a musician or a group of musicians. Pretty amazing, if you ask me. For breakfast, I decided to go to Café Beignet, another delicious beignet spot in the French Quarter. There's an adorable garden with beautiful plants, and it was the perfect way to start my day, though not exactly the most nutritious. After eating, I walked down Royal Street, visiting the art galleries along the way. There are galleries featuring artists from around the world, and so many different styles are represented. If I ever go on an art shopping spree, I would love to start here. The French Quarter has so much to offer when learning about the blended culture of the city. For example, Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo allows you to explore the role voodoo has played in New Orleans' spiritual culture, Here's an excerpt from VoodooNewOrleans.com, the official website for this little shop. And I quote, Located in the historic New Orleans French Quarter, we offer a variety of items to help in both learning and practicing spiritual and religious ceremony. Tribal masks and statues from around the world symbolizing our ancestors' connection with the spirit and earth. Talismans and charms directed towards many different supplications. In addition to our retail items, we offer a selection of psychic and spiritual readings available every day from 12 p.m. until closing. End quote. This shop is small but fun to explore. Plus, they have tons of souvenirs. For a different spiritual experience, Jackson Square is the home to the gorgeous St. Louis Cathedral. According to stlouiscathedral.org, construction for this historic church building was finished in 1793. The building has since undergone lots of changes, including the addition of a clock on its tower and commissioning painters to decorate. In 1849, during reconstruction of the cathedral to restore it, the central clock and the bell tower collapsed. This caused them to find another architect in order to ensure the safety of the reconstruction process. I personally love visiting cathedrals and other churches when I travel because the architecture is usually pretty amazing. This cathedral is no different. It's free to tour, so when it's open, you can just walk in and observe. The surrounding park, Jackson Square, is filled with artists of all types, from character drawings to living statues to musical performances. Regardless of spiritual preferences, cemeteries play a huge role in New Orleans culture. Because of the composition of the soil, the cemeteries are filled with above-ground tombs. These range from very simple to large ornate statue covered tombs. And there are so many stories surrounding these cemeteries that there are tours offered to learn about them. It was pretty incredible to see these and they're definitely unlike any cemetery I've ever seen. Finally, heading in for the evening, I decided to enjoy the Riverwalk, which gives a great view of the old fashioned river boats and a beautiful waterfront walking path. The Woldenberg Park is a great place to picnic or just watch the sunset. If you want to get some great photos, I highly recommend this location. I've never been on a riverboat, but if I visit again, I'll do my best to do a dinner show or a swamp tour, or maybe both. For the next part of my adventure, I didn't feel comfortable traveling solo, so I invited my OG travel buddies, my parents. They handle road trips way better than I do, and they were excited to explore with me. We'll take a short break, then it's time to hit the road. For this part of the journey, I wanted to visit both Mississippi and Alabama for the first time. Since I was already in New Orleans, adding this to the trip just made sense. Normally, I'd have a few stops along the way planned out for a road trip like this, but for our safety, we decided to stick to the highways and only stop in the major cities along the way. After breakfast, we hit the road to Gulfport, Mississippi, our first stop of the day. The drive is under two hours, even with traffic, and to get there, we had to cross the world's longest bridge over water, the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway. This bridge is truly mind-blowing. According to the Causeway.us, the bridge spans 24 miles. At the speed limit of 65 miles an hour, it takes 22 minutes to get across. Once you get across the bridge, the drive is mostly highway to get to Gulfport. Parts of the drive are along the coast, so you get to enjoy some pretty beautiful views as well. In Gulfport, we stopped to walk around and eventually got lunch at a small local diner, but unfortunately, that diner is no longer in business. The local people were happy to suggest places for us to visit, and we felt really welcome and comfortable while visiting. After Gulfport, we hopped to the next town over, Biloxi. Like Gulfport, Biloxi is on the coast and has some beautiful water views. Downtown Biloxi has a historic walking tour where you're guided through historical sites with informative signs placed around the city. While there, we also saw the high water mark, which is the city's Hurricane Katrina Memorial. The monument is a 28 foot pole that shows how high the flood surge was, and the height was just unfathomable to me. There are similar high water marks placed along the Gulf Coast, showcasing the impact and lasting effects caused by this devastating hurricane. According to Wikipedia, Biloxi is home to eight casino hotels, making it a popular tourist destination for the region. After walking around Biloxi for a while, it was time to head to our next stop, Mobile Alabama. This drive is about an hour long and very accessible from Biloxi. When we arrived, we visited the Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception. This was another free attraction, so we were able to walk in and see the beautifully ornate designs the cathedral also has stunning stained glass windows along both walls of the main sanctuary. After the cathedral, it was time for a history nerd out at the History Museum of Mobile. This museum is a walkthrough of the history of the city, and it features historic relics, statues, and artwork. The museum also showcases artifacts from slavery and signage from the Jim Crow era, and while it's not easy to see these things, I'm really grateful that the museum features this story so prominently. While at the museum, we met a few of the team members from the Dora Franklin Finley African American Heritage Trail. This is a wonderful organization, and I truly enjoyed meeting them. Here's an excerpt describing the organization's mission from the website dffaaht.org. To educate, preserve, and mark the historic contributions of African Americans in mobile, History comes alive on the Dora Franklin Finley African-American Heritage Trail. Tours enlighten Mobile's culturally diverse heritage by linking historic contributions and events with significant locations. Forgotten chapters of the history are remembered through the stories of courage and contributions from Mobile's ethnically diverse past. End quote. In addition to the History Museum of Mobile... This organization has a full tour available on their website, which provides you with the full story of mobile, including the parts that are historically brushed over. If I return to this city, I know I'll be spending more time visiting the sites they recommend. It's a history lover's dream. Mobile, Alabama and Biloxi and Gulfport, Mississippi were Confederate cities and have horrendous histories of enslaving people. During the post-Civil War Reconstruction era, Mobile suffered economically, but during the early 1900s, it became a center for many civil rights-related events. According to Wikipedia, in 1963, three African American students were denied admission to Murphy High School. They brought a case against the Mobile County School Board, and following the result of the 1954 case Brown v. Board of Education, the district ruled that the students must be admitted. This case began the desegregation of Mobile school district. After a long day of road tripping and exploration, it was time to make the three-hour drive back to New Orleans. Traffic was minimal, and we felt comfortable taking the trip in the evening because it was mostly highway, and we knew we could stop in Gulfport or Biloxi if needed. If you decide to take this trip, please be aware that sundown towns or locations that want any outsiders out of their community by sundown still exist and if you're a person that would be considered an outsider i strongly advise you to only stop in a major city in well-lit areas when it's nighttime safety first after arriving back in new orleans we got some much needed rest in preparation for leaving the city the next day before we left we had a chance to catch a few free shows at the new orleans jazz festival Most of these shows took place at the Louis Armstrong Park, which sits at the edge of the French Quarter. The annual jazz festival can be expensive to attend, but there are several free opportunities to join the party. Louis Armstrong Park is also great to walk around and has many beautiful art installations along its pathways. Before catching my flight, I had to buy a few farewell beignets. I couldn't resist. After all that, I almost forgot that I was there for a conference. This was an action and food packed adventure, but this trip definitely left an impact on me. Here are a few things to take away from today's episode. Number one, cities in the U.S., especially the South, are often culturally different from the rest of the state. Always research statistics before visiting, but it's possible to safely explore while visiting these cities. Number two, don't be afraid of a day trip. A one-day car rental is perfect for a location like this because you can spend the day on the road, experience somewhere new, then return back to your hotel in the evening. And finally, when in New Orleans, plan for a big food budget. The food is pretty amazing, and I'm a super picky eater, so that's saying a lot. You might find yourself wanting to go back to the same restaurant you visited yesterday just to experience it all over again. Well, my adventure through the Deep South was definitely a learning experience, and while I can't say I'll be back soon with the current state of affairs, maybe in the future, I'll go back for some beignets. Before we wrap up today's episode, I'd like to share an audience question for last week's episode about the Pacific Northwest. This question comes from Jerissa C. and reads, What was your favorite meal you had in Portland? Thanks so much for your question. My favorite meal was actually at a place called the Hairy Lobster. I didn't mention it on last week's episode because unfortunately, since I've been there, the restaurant has closed. It was delicious, though. Portland overall is filled with great food, though, so I hope that if you're planning to do a trip there, you'll enjoy the food experience. Thanks so much for joining me on today's adventure. If you enjoyed traveling with me today, leaving a rating helps me share these stories with more travelers like you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and feel free to leave a rating on your platform of choice. Thanks so much for joining me and I'll see you next time when we head to Paris, France. Thanks for listening to Destination Journey, a podcast about creative, responsible travel. Destination Journey is written, executive produced, and hosted by Patrika Elise in partnership with Circle and Sphere Productions and with support from Natisha Chopra, Matador, and the Cheston crew, Patrick, Lisa, Debika, Jarissa, Joey, and Matt. If you'd like to ask a question, contact questions at destinationjourney.co. If you'd like to see your destination featured on the show, reach out to locations at destinationjourney.co. Remember to travel safely and always enjoy the adventure along the way. Until next time.